that's better. All right, let's, um, we're just going to quickly pray for um, what's been happening with the fires and those affected, shall we? Because yeah. I know that many of you have people you know who have been. Um, and there's been some terrible destruction, but there's also been some amazing deliverance stories of God really stepping in and, and helping people out. So um, let's just pray. Father, we pray... Lord, we pray for those affected by the fires. Lord, we pray firstly for those who have lost homes. Lord, we pray they'll find your peace and your comfort. Lord, they'll know your presence. Lord, and that they'll even know through you restoration and wholeness. Father, we pray for the fireys and the SES, the ambulance officers, the police, Lord, uh, all our emergency services out there and volunteers and those assisting them. Father, we pray that you give them strength and wisdom. We, Lord, you pray your protection over them. Father, we pray for those who have seen you have to make decisions about placing people and the right way to do things. Lord, I pray you give them wisdom and divine insight. And Father, we pray for rain. Lord, that the wind dies down, the rain comes. Lord, that it just soaks into the ground and uh, the fire is out and there be deliverance. And, Lord, it seems totally ironic, but in this country, Lord, we pray for those on the other side of the country going through floods. Father, we pray the same for them, that there'll be restoration upon them, that your peace and comfort be with them. We want to bless you that you are an almighty God in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that as we sit down and we look at your word. Father, I pray, encourage us, strengthen us. Lord, that we will be like rods of iron unbending, except at your name, that we become and do all that you have called for us to be. Lord, just speak through me, I pray today, in Jesus' name. Your presence be in this place, Holy Spirit. Amen. In Jesus' name. All right, we continue our series from last week on entering into the increase, yeah? Okay, two people excited, that's good. I know the rest of you are thumbing through your Bibles, ready to go to the next section and looking at what God has for you. Let let me just give you a little warning. When you start stepping into this sort of stuff... um, we talked last week about spiritual warfare. Whenever you, try, whenever you start to learn something and start to bring change in your life because of what God's Word says, it does this thing that causes spiritual warfare. In other words, you're starting to take territory from the enemy. All right? And so Satan doesn't just sit around and go, oh, they're coming, oh, dear, oh, no. He will make a lot of noise. He will make things look worse than what they really are. He will, you know, you'll wake up in the morning and all you'll think about is how bad things are. He will bring the first thought before your eyes are even open. And then when you deal with that, he'll keep bringing them, bringing them, because the way the devil works is by pressure. He uses fear to bring pressure. And the idea is that you bow to that pressure and... 
let go of what is yours. Because the reality is he's actually already beaten. And he knows he's beaten. He just doesn't want you to know that he's beaten. You actually already have the victory. You already win. All you're doing is carrying out the victory that you already have. Right? So a lot of what the pressure and the stuff that comes your way, it's just noise. It's just fear. He works through fear. Our God is a God of faith. He works through faith. All right? And faith is stepping into those things that you can't physically see, but they're yours anyway. All right? Before you became a Christian, salvation was already available to you. It was already yours. You just hadn't taken it, right? Isn't that right? All right? It says, actually, before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was crucified. In other words, Jesus had salvation right from the very start. Before the world was even formed, he had your salvation sorted. And Jesus' coming was just an acting of what was already done before the foundation of the world. And it was available to you. Your whole life you've had salvation in Jesus Christ available to you. You just had to receive it. It had already been given. It's the same with the finance area. God has already blessed you so that you can be a blessing. He has already abundantly blessed you. His desire already is for you to prosper. We looked at that last week. We went through several verses. It says, The blessing of the Lord on your life brings wealth, and He has no trouble, toil, or sorrow to it. It says things like, God supplies all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus in Philippians. So these things are actually already done You just have to step into it the same way you stepped into salvation. It's already been given. You just have to step in and receive it. And you know what? You are worthy. And you're even wise. Because some people say to me, oh, I don't want money. You know, I don't want it to ruin me. Well, then get wise. All right? Because it's the fool that money ruins. It's the fool. Because money, like we said last week, is not good or bad. It's how you think and how you act and what you do in the place it has. And someone says to me, oh, having lots of money, you know, money controls you. Let me tell you something. Without money, money dictates what you do and don't do. Because if your response is, I can't do that because I can't afford it, who's making the choice, you or your money? So if you have a lack of money, it is dictating what you do. Isn't it amazing how the devil twists things, isn't it? And we believe the lies and let it twist us around in circles. The reality is if you have money, then you can make the choice as to what you do and what you don't do. Then you control money. It's a revelation, isn't it? When you don't have money, it dictates what you do and don't do. When you have money, you dictate what you do with or don't do with your money. All right? God's plan is to bless you so that you can be a blessing. He did it right back there. It's one of the first things he said to Adam and Eve. To be fruitful, to multiply, and to have dominion over everything. In other words, you own the lot. 
They started life pretty wealthy. And then they gave it up. But you know what? God continued that because along came Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so much that you'll be a blessing. And he was abundantly wealthy. And it went down through Isaac. And it went down through Jacob. Then it came to Joseph. And it just keeps going all the way through the Bible, all the way to Jesus. And Jesus wasn't poor. I mean, in the first couple of years of his life, three wise guys woke up with, they estimate, somewhere between $4 and $40 million. Not $4, it's in $4 million and $40 million worth of gifts. And there's probably more than three, by the way. They'd not just bring one little gift each because they were coming to honour the king of kings as told by the stars. And if you want an idea of how honour works, the queen of Sheba brought in a massive camel train when she came to see Solomon because when you came to see a king as another ruling authority somewhere else, she was the queen, you had to bring a gift that was the equivalent of the person you were bringing the gift to. You had to honour them. If the gift was not big enough, then they would reject seeing you because your gift was unsatisfactory. That was the custom. And so she comes in with this camel train, probably as long as this building, full of wealth and so on, and she walks in and sees Solomon and goes, oh man, I underprepared. Because she was astounded at the wealth in front of him. Because that was the custom. And so when the, the wise men came, they kings themselves, came to see Jesus, they recognized they were coming to see a higher authority king. So they would have bought gifts to honor Jesus, and so he started life extremely wealthy. He went through life extremely wealthy. People say, oh, Jesus was poor. You know, it says in the Bible, he became poor so we might be rich. Well, there's something that tells you something. First of all, he wants you rich. But he became poor because he left heaven, where our wealth is gold. We measure everything in gold here. They use that for paving bricks in heaven. That's why he became poor, because he left heaven to come to earthly wealth. But it says he had a treasurer. Judas. And Judas used to steal from the treasury, and none of the other disciples knew. So that says to me, there was a fair bit of cash in there. Because if there's only like 20 bucks in there at a time, and someone's stealing from the treasury, you'd notice, wouldn't you? But if there's an abundance of wealth, and he's stealing out of the books, and nobody knows, there must have been some serious cash flow going on. And Jesus was generous because when Judas went to betray him, the disciples assumed he was going to give to the poor. Why would they assume that? Because it's what he did regularly. God wants to bless you so that you can walk in his blessing, so people can look at you and say, there is the people the Lord has blessed, and I want to be like them. God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. You know, we should be able to load a truck up just as a church and rock on down south right now and say, oh, who cares about grilled burger taking 10 burgers out to a bunch of firemen? Here's a truckload. Let's go build some houses. That's what God wants. Because when you start to do that, people start to listen. Because they have no choice when you rock up and rebuild their house better than what was burnt down before and there's no bill attached. But we've got to change how we think and stop thinking poor. Let me get to the sermon now. Deuteronomy 29, 
Verse 29 helps if I've got the right verse in front of me. When you come to church, bring your Bible. It's always good to read it, see it. It says to see with your eyes as well as hear with your ears. That's how faith comes. All right. Today I want to talk about how you start to prosper. And it's different to the world system. See, the world system, I'm trying to keep this down short. Got the look. The world system is, comes out of Babylon, all right? In Babylon, they used to go and they would invade a country. They would take the smartest men. This is where Daniel comes into it. They would take the smartest young people, bring them back, and they would teach them Babylonian ways, Babylonian culture, and Babylonian economics. And so our whole trading system is actually based upon the Babylonian thing of buying and selling, Okay? that you get wealthy by accumulating, you get wealthy by pushing somebody else down and rising up. And he who rises to the top is the smartest, the wisest, and has the most. All right? And who cares about anyone else? That's the Babylonian system, and that's actually how our world culture works. God's system is totally different. God's system works on the total opposite. He says, whatever you have, give. If you have a need, don't accumulate, don't have to toil, don't have to work hard. What you do is sow a seed into that. As in, take some of what you have and give it to somebody or to someone in faith, expecting God to return 30, 60, 100 fold. And we'll talk about this in a few weeks. That's how God's economy works. It's actually the opposite to what the world says works. It doesn't make sense in your logical mind. But you see, when you start to do that and you start to be a generous person, what it does is it starts to open up heaven and God will start giving you ideas and revelation and he will start to give you favor. And it doesn't mean that you you don't have to be smart. You don't have to have an education. It's not determined by how wealthy you are now, how smart you are, what your grades were at school, what sort of degrees you have. That all has absolutely nothing to do with it. You can be the janitor at McDonald's and still be extremely wealthy because it doesn't come by the work that you do. It comes by the faith that you have and the seed that you sow. That's God's economy in a nutshell. Does it mess with your mind? Absolutely. It goes against everything the world teaches you works. How do you get wealthy? By giving. But the Bible says constantly that those who give to the poor will be refreshed. He says, if you bring your tithes into the storehouse, I'll open up such a blessing that you can't contain it. I'll pour it out upon you. That's how God works. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's up there. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Or all the words of what the Bible says. All right. Two things I want to bring out of there. First off, the secret things belong to God. It doesn't matter what your circumstance, God has a way through. And He will give you revelation if you seek Him. I've got to say right now, I'm feeling the pressure personally. We're feeling the pressure as a church. We've stepped into this place and there's pressure involved. So I'm sitting here going, do I really want to preach this stuff? But I'm preaching to me as well as you. 
All right, things are not here as we thought they would be, as we were told they would be, as it was represented to us. And we can either get upset with it and have a whinge and complain, or we can get into faith. So we've got into faith, and our God provides all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And it's the same in your situation. You can look at where you are and go, there's no way through this. But God has a way through. But you need to tap into him to get that. It says he will give you the wisdom, the secret things. He'll reveal to you secrets that you did not know. He will give you favor where you thought there could be no favor. Because the secret things belong to God. But those which are revealed belong to us. God will reveal to you the secret things. He will show you how to get ahead in your situation. He will show you how to have favor. Every job I've had, except for church jobs. That's interesting, isn't it? But every job I've had outside of church, I have received pay rises every year above and beyond. When I worked for my my job I just left, I worked out that my income over three years went up over a third. That's probably why they went bankrupt. (laughs) No, they didn't. But that's what happened. It wasn't until just before I left I worked out that my income just kept... I don't know. I never asked for a pay rise any time. They just kept promoting me and promoting me. Why? It was just the favor of God. Like he'd do things like there were people under me that weren't getting paid very much and they wanted to keep them. So they wanted to give them a pay rise to keep them. But they couldn't give them a pay rise because I was above them. So they gave me a pay rise to take me up to a new level so they could keep them to go up to a new level because they were going to leave. Isn't that cool? And there are times I got pay rise because I earned them, but you know. I mean, when I worked for the bank, I was the only employee in the five years I was there that received the bonus every year. Every, every branch used to get a bonus. I don't know if they still do. Every branch used to get a bonus. The five years I was there, I got the larger part of the bonus every year, and I was one of the most junior employees there. And it wasn't that I was more intelligent than anyone else. It was the favor of God. I could remember when God told me to resign, it was time to move on because they were having this competition where they had this trip over to Thailand, I think it was, and it was the one who sold the most of um, some product. And I'm a lousy salesman, all right? I, I, not very, I, I can do the gospel, but selling stuff I've worked out, I'm not very good at. But I would just sit there, and I, I, I wasn't actually on the counter that often before I left because my job was to supervise. But occasionally, you know, if I was really busy, I'd go and jump on the counter and help out serving. And when I'd go and jump on the counter, someone would come in and actually purchase this product. And they would purchase it for these extraordinary amounts. And so just before I left, I was so far ahead of everybody else. And I'm going, I don't want to leave. I want three more months, three more months, and I get my free trip to Thailand. And it wasn't that I sold it. It was just the favor of God that I would get every customer that would come in and want this product at hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's how God can work for you. But you've got to get into his way of doing things. You've got to stop trying to do it your way. Let me, let me take a Bill Winston for you. All right? This is a good thing to represent our cares, isn't it? 
How many of your cares are tied up with this? A whole lot of them? Yeah? All right. So if I take Hannah, just playing, all right? Just playing. Hey? Oh, sorry. For those who are recording, I have my wallet in my hand. All right. So this, your wallet, your money represents a lot of your cares, right? You know, do I have enough? Can we do this? Can we pay this bill? How are we going to head and so on? You don't need to take your cares. You need to give them to Jesus. All right, so when you give your cares to Jesus, but what do we do? We sort of go, don't we? Or we're over here going, oh, man. And we've, we've given them to Jesus, but then we're taking them back. You've got to leave them with them. Let them have it. Let him take care of your situation. Thank you. All right? You've got to let him take care of the situation. Let him have your cares and worries. Let him do things his way. And then he can reveal to you. You see, if you keep worrying about it, you keep focusing on it, you're not focusing on him. You're not focusing on what you're called to do. Because God has a plan and a purpose for you. And it's not to go to your job and make money. Because your job and your income is not your primary source. It was never meant to be like that. That's the Babylonian system. It says, my God shall supply how many of your needs? All your needs. God will supply, not your employer. God will supply. Now, I'm not saying go out and resign from your job. Sit at home like a lazy bum and go, God's got it, cool. Because he actually has work for you to do. But it's not to make money. He has work for you to do. And you need to go to him and say, God, what is your purpose for me? And he'll probably turn around and say to you, where you are, I have put you to share Jesus. That's why you're there. Oh, but that might make me unpopular. Big deal. It made Jesus unpopular. They crucified him. So unless you're worried about them sticking you on a cross, you're probably okay. But God has a plan and a purpose for you. He has a ministry for you. It's not necessarily being a preacher or a pastor or a teacher or anything else. He has a ministry for you where you are. And if you're in the wrong place, he has it somewhere else. But he has a plan and a purpose for you. He wants to reveal to you his secrets. Some of you, he wants to give inventions and ideas that will make a difference in people's lives. God has a plan and a purpose for you. But you have to seek him to say, okay, I put my cares upon you. You show me what you want me to do. And then you step into doing it. And let him take care of the rest. And stop worrying about money. I know it's easier said than done. I can say that and say it all day. But you've got to stop focusing on money and start focusing on Jesus and what he has for you. And let him bless you. Because his plan is actually to make you billionaires. 
Because that's what it takes. Yarloop needs rebuilding. How many billions of dollars do you think it's going to take? How many of those places do you think weren't insured? Or underinsured? So you're not just talking about people losing their houses. You're talking about a whole community. Gone. What's their biggest need right now? They need money. And what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 4.19? Sorry, so I'm right off my sermon notes here, Ivan. So. But we'll go to Luke 4.19 and we'll probably finish there. This is what Jesus said when he came. He said, this is what he preached. This is what he preached everywhere he went. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Luke 4.18, sorry. Because he has anointed me to what? To preach the gospel to the poor. What is the gospel to the poor? If you are poor, you are broke, you are destitute, do you really want to hear about salvation? What do you want to hear? You don't have to be poor anymore. God has a way through. So we wonder why people don't want to hear our message. It's because our message has been you have to be poor. But what was Jesus, because when you read through the rest of it, you know, we can spiritualize this, but read through the rest of it. To heal broken hearts. Liberty to those who are captive. Recovery of sight to the blind. Liberty to those who are oppressed. So we accept all those things. Why do we struggle with the gospel to the poor? What is the gospel to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore because God has a way through where he wants to bless you. That's the gospel to the poor. And that's the sort of thing that we need to have down there. There's a bunch of Christians rocking in and going, hey, let us help you out. Let me share you with you the gospel to the poor. You don't have to be poor anymore. But the problem is that we're still struggling with our poverty. We're still struggling with our lack. Because we haven't got into God's economy system, we're still trying to pray around in Satan's. Because the world economy system is failing because it's based upon Satan. Everything he touches fails. That's why it's falling apart. You know, we're told we have to go and toil. You know what toil is? Work that drains. Ever felt that? But we're not called to toil. We're called to do his work. That means doing your job, but being there and sharing Jesus. I have so much I just want to share with you. I'm trying to... Sorry? I could go for another hour. We had a 12 o'clock party, right? So I go to quarter to 12. All right, let me give you a little bit of this and then we're going to finish. John 17. Actually, no, no, let's not do that. Let's, let's do Genesis 26. Sorry, Ivan. Let me talk to you out of Genesis 26. Really quick, I'm going to go through this quick and maybe we can explore it a bit further. Genesis 26 really, really illustrates the Deuteronomy 29 thing. 
where, you know, often we say, this is what's happening out there in the world, this is the economy, this is the situation, you know, oh, my work's like this, oh, there's not much work around, there's this, that and the other, oh, the people being retrenched, you know, it's all pretty ugly, it's all pretty bad. God is not subject to what's happening out there. He never has been. He's not subject to what the world is doing. The world is messing itself up. But God's not in that. He's in the solution. So let me show you quickly about this. All right. Genesis 26, verse 1. There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of Egypt, in Gerar. So first off, there's a famine. So what's a famine? A severe shortage. Scares. Economic downturn. Things are not good. All right? In famine, they don't plant crops because there's no water. There's hardly any seed. They're running out. All right. So this is a dark time for everybody. No, it's not. It's only a dark time for those who don't know God because you're not subject to the seasons. We could have a financial collapse tomorrow morning where the stock market goes down three quarters of the way where places close and the world falls apart and it actually does not have to touch you. Because God is not subject to what is happening out there and you are his child, so therefore you are not subject to it. You're called to be in the world but not of the world. All right? So what does the word tell us about famine? Psalm 33. It says, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Psalm 37, 18, 19. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. That's God's word. So it doesn't matter what's happening out there, God has more than enough. So in famine, you won't just survive, you'll thrive, you'll prosper, you'll flourish. Because the blessing of the Lord makes you rich. And it's not subject to anything else around you. All right, so are we okay with this so far? All right. Genesis 26, verse 2. The Lord appeared to him, to Isaac, he says, and he says, don't go down to Egypt, live in the land, I'll tell you. In other words, don't go run now where the famine is and down somewhere else. Stay where you are. Dwell in this land, and I'll be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I give these lands, from the oath I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as stars of heaven. I'll give you to your descendants all these lands. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. First off, when you hit a hard time, stand where you are. Don't go running off somewhere else. Two people hit a wall, and they go, oh, that's it. They run off somewhere else. You'll never get anywhere if you run every time you hit a hard time. When you hit a hard time, stand in obedience. Go to God and say, what do you want me to do? And stand. God needs you where you are in a tough time to push through because others need to see God working through you. All right? So don't run. Stand. Then you go down to verse 12 and see what God did. Then Isaac sowed in the land. This is in a famine, remember? He sowed in the land 
and reaped in the same year a hundredfold as the Lord blessed him. So he put seed in the ground and he got a hundred times his crop back. Now, a normal yield in a fertile area, I'm told, is 25 to 50-fold. So 25 to 50 times what you put in the ground is a good yield in a fertile area. In the middle of famine, when no one else is doing anything, Isaac gets a hundredfold return. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. All right? Let me tell you something about sowing and reaping. Too many people say, I can't afford to sow. Have you seen the conditions? Have you seen my finances? Have you seen what I've got? Ecclesiastes says, the fool considers the wind and the circumstances around them. But the wise person acts. It goes on that Isaac gets blessed with abundant crops, sheep, herds, cattle, so much so that the Philistines became jealous of him and tried to drive him out. Isaac is the son of Abraham, isn't he? Aren't we the seed of Abraham? Don't we have the same blessing? Doesn't Galatians say that? That the blessing that was upon Abraham is upon us, his children. So you can actually sow and receive a hundredfold. Even if the world out there says you can't do it. So let me give you really quickly the three, three key areas, and I will go through these very quickly. No, maybe five. All right, first one is keep obeying God. Obedience is where the blessing is. Isaiah 1.19 says, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. You have to be willing and obedient. Right? So keep obeying God. Number two, told you I get through quickly, keep sowing seed. All right? It's always a good time to sow a seed. What do I mean by sowing a seed? Keep giving. Be a tither. Take 10% of your income and you give it into the house of God. All right? It's biblical. It was before law because Abraham did it. It's God's way of doing things, taking the first 10% and giving it. And then beyond that, look for opportunities where you can give of yourself, give of your time, maybe even give a little bit of your finance to someone else. When someone knocks on the door and says, oh, I'm collecting for cancer, give $2. Scrape your change together and just do it. When you see someone in need and you can meet that need, meet it. Go to God and say, where can I give? It's a good one, isn't it, Sharon? Asking God where you can give. Sharon will tell you great stories about that later. But go to God and say, how can I sow more seed? Because you see, when you sow a seed, when you give your offering, you, know, you press a button, where you do it online or you do it here, you're not supposed to chuck it in and go, oh, that's gone now. You're supposed to give it and say, that is my seed. I give this out of obedience. I give it willingly. I give it cheerfully. And I give it expecting God to open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing on me. It's more than I contain so I can be a blessing to everybody else. 
Because God's plan is to get rid of all my debt. So I don't have to worry about my debt. I can just be a blessing. God's plan is to pour abundance on me so I can give and give and meet the needs of people around me. So then they'll listen to me when I talk about Jesus. I want people to look at me and say, I want to be like you. And that's how you're meant to be. That's God's plan for your life. That you radiate His glory. And if you're walking around with a frown because you're stressed about your finances, that is not radiating God's glory. So stop worrying, Matthew says. Cast your cares upon Him and expect Him to do it. And when Satan comes and he's got that wrapper and he's rattling and making a big noise, there's nothing in the box because he's got nothing except what you give him. So stop giving and give to Jesus and rebuke him. It says you rebuke him. How do you rebuke him? You just speak the word of God. My God supplies all my needs. So it doesn't matter what the world says, what that letter says. When you get an email or a letter that has a bill in it, you just tell God he's got mail. That's his problem. You got mail, God. You need to take care of that one. And he will. All right. What are we up to? Point number what? No, I've lost my place completely. All right. Number three, expect to be wealthy. Expect God to actually bring finance back into your hands. Change how you think. All right. They worked out that you know, if, if I took $10 million right now and I put that into your hands and in your bank account, it would actually take you 12 months to change how you think. You would still be looking at your bank account and going, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. It would take you about 12 months to change how you think. Isn't that incredible? So why don't you start now with the Word of God and change how you think so that when God drops the money in there, you've already got the right thinking. Yeah? Rather than getting up, and, and this is a really key one, and I want to preach on this some other time, but I want to finish with this bit. All right? It's really key what you say. Because you pray one thing, and then you go up and say the difference. You know, you get up and we pray, oh, God, look, I really I believe you. I pray you meet all my needs. Lord, you see these bills, I believe you. You stand up and go, oh, man, those bills. You can't do that. Zip it. When you pray, stand up, and when the negative stuff comes, just ignore it and speak what God's Word says about your situation. All right? Keep obeying by God. Sow seed. Keep tithing. Don't stop tithing. Don't stop giving any time. Keep tithing. When the pressure's on, keep tithing. When there's more pressure on, give more. It messes with the devil's head. And it messes with how you think and changes that. Keep walking by faith. And number five, keep attending church. It says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. They shall bring forth fruit in the old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. 
We don't want to be fat and flourishing. All right, God's, God put church here for a reason. It wasn't so that, you know, we'd have somewhere to go and do things and, you know, a nice social club. He put us here to encourage each other. He put us here so that we could learn and grow about him. He put us here to challenge us to go to a new level. You know, if no one was telling you to be a billionaire, then what would you do? You'd keep doing the same thing you've always been doing. It says the Holy Spirit will teach you, but you can't, he will. But you need to come to church to get challenged occasionally, to change how you think. Yeah, it's like the story we talked about, the golf guy. Remember that one? Guy doing business in the, in the Middle East and with one of the Saudi princes. And, and at the end of the business, um, he's about to go home and the Saudi prince said to him, you know, um, is this something we, we'd like to give you a gift? It's customary to give you a gift. And the guy said, look, I don't need a gift. It's fine. You know, the Saudi prince said, no, we need to give you a gift. And so he said, look, fine, just give me a golf club. And he went back home. Two weeks later, there's a knock on the door. He says, are you, are you Mr. Brown? And he says, yes, I'm Mr. Brown. And he says, if you'd like to come in the car with me, we'll take you to your golf club. All right, he's thinking of a nine-nine. The Saudi prince is thinking of an 18-hole clubhouse, lakes, everything, real estate. Because that's how God thinks. We're thinking walking around with a stick. He's thinking walking around with the blessing. But you've got to change how you think by putting the Word of God in. You've got to be a tither. You've got to be here in church, encouraging each other. You've got to be sowing your seed. Change how you think. Your job is not your source. God is your source. Your job is your mission field. It's your ministry area. It's where God's put you to make a difference. And if you're going, I don't have a job, well, then go to God and say, where do you want me to share my faith? Where do you want me? What do you have for me to do? If you're really stuck, you can come volunteer down here. That's right. Because <laughs> we always need more volunteers, right? And they don't have to be skilled. I'm certainly not, and I survive. <laughs> God has a plan for you, and it's a plan to bless you. You've got to change how we think and how we act. Yeah? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You are a good God. I thank you. You have blessing on your mind. The Lord, even while we sleep, it says that you're looking for ways to bless us. So, Father, we put ourselves in a position to receive that blessing. Father, we choose to be tithers and givers. We choose to be doers of your word. We choose to cast our cares upon you and to walk in your way. Lord, I bless every person here in the name of Jesus with abundance of wealth. Father, where there is pressure, Lord, that financial pressure is on, where there is lack, Father, I speak abundance into that situation right now in Jesus' name. I speak breakthrough over that area right now in the name of Jesus. Breakthrough in Jesus' name, that there will be abundance, that there will be wealth. Father, that we will be a church that walks in your wealth and blessing, that we can be a blessing to others. Be glorified through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.